You're listening to episode 17 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to episode 17 of Chat About Children, where we chat about all things children and support and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today we are chatting about managing your child's behavior or the behavior of children that you may work with. This episode is really going to help you as a parent or professional who works with children to understand children's behavior better as well as empower you with some strategies that you can start using today to diffuse problem behaviors before they escalate but also know what to do when they do escalate. So let's just get this chat started. So joining me today is Helen Samoulis. She is a registered psychologist who's worked with children, adolescents and families in the capacity of assessment and counselling for over 20 years. This has been in clinical settings as a school counsellor and in private practice. Helen also teaches undergraduate and postgraduate counselling psychology students who are looking at working with children and families. She works from a positive growth framework to ensure that children, adolescents and their families experience a sense of empowerment to address any opportunities for growth and understanding that present themselves within their day-to-day situations. Welcome to the show, Helen. Hi, Sonia. Thanks for having me today. It is great that you're joining us because we've got a hot topic to talk about. We're talking about managing your child's behavior. And can I just say that I am sure there are many parents and many professionals listening that are just hanging to hear what you have to say to help us out because as a parent and as a professional that works with children, I know with my own children, I do my best to understand their behavior and sometimes I just have no clue and I do my best at managing things. And professionally, you know, being able to manage behavior is absolutely crucial in order to get the outcomes I need to get as a speech pathologist. So yeah, I'm just really looking forward to our chat today. But before we get into the nitty gritty of children's behavior, I would like to know what made you want to be a psychologist, Helen, and particularly working with kids, what drove you to that field? So I suppose I've always had an interest in in psychology and I always knew I was going to be working with people in some capacity because that's always been something that I have had an interest in. When I first started at uni, there were so many different areas of psychology and I was really drawn to children, adolescents and family just from some of the areas that I have interest in, like with play therapy and with parenting strategies and things like that, really made sense to me, I suppose, from early on and I felt I could be most helpful with. So, yes, I suppose it's just always been something that I've wanted to do and like helping others and listening. So, Yes, fantastic. Just out of curiosity, because you've been working as a psychologist now for 20 years or so, do you think there's been an increase in issues with children's behaviour over the years? Like what's the trend? I think over the years it has definitely, there have been more people seeking help for their children and for themselves in regards to managing situations at home and even schools managing children's behaviour at school. So I think the trend has certainly been that there's been more of a focus on individuals accessing help. I don't know whether it's that there are more problems, it's probably more okay for someone to get help these days than what it was 20 years ago. So that's generally what I find and we're more knowledgeable about the types of difficulties that kids have these days so there's more opportunities 
to get help as well. Yeah, there's more awareness, definitely. And so it perhaps is that there's less stigma attached now. It's more okay or deemed okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So tell us, Helen, what are some of the common issues that parents present with when they do come along to you with concerns about their child's behaviour? What are those common issues that they're coming up with? So I suppose it varies from your day-to-day naughty type behaviours that parents label as my child's just naughty or I want to know how to how to parent my child when they present as being defined or don't listen or don't do as I've asked. So there's those day-to-day type behavioural issues that might be presenting. There are other behaviours along the realm of sort of anxiety. There might be other behaviours that might warrant further assessment, for example, because uh, parents are picking up that their their child is not developing at the same rate uh, or in the same way as other children and the way that their behaviours present seem quite different. So it tends to be a variety of issues and situations that parents can present with and very variable ages as well. So from as young as, so with younger children, say three and four, where it's more developmental and we look at parenting strategies over counselling with individual children all the way up to teenagers and adolescents and the issues that they faced in growing up as well. Yeah, because it would be quite different over the stages of life, I guess, in childhood. So is there a common thread for the causes of behavioural difficulties? I think these days, and you mentioned before whether there's more behaviours that are around now than previously. I think it's not that there's more behaviours. I think there's a lot of choices these days for kids are expected to grow up a lot quicker than previously with all the, you know, social media stuff and all the extra sort of challenges that they have in terms of learning expectations at school, in terms of being more independent a lot earlier. So I think there are certainly more challenges that they have to face and life isn't as simple. So in terms of causes around behaviours, quite often it can be that they children might be overwhelmed by something that's happening in their day-to-day situation. There may be an underlying sort of learning issue that might be happening if there's specific school-based behaviours that are also present. There may be, if it's around home, there may be if families a lot of separation, divorce happening as well, that's on the increase. So that could be related to some behavioural changes in children. A lot more children being diagnosed with anxiety that might present because of, again, what they're being faced with Mm. and because it is more assessed and, and there's more awareness around it. So it does vary, but a lot of it comes down to any changes that children might be experiencing and there are your underlying sort of genetic predispositions so to diagnosed conditions as well that would be a cause of some behavioural challenges as well. Yes, and you mentioned anxiety and I've got to say that's probably a separate topic because it's huge. It's just huge. That's probably an episode in itself. But I do wonder, again, as a parent and professional and I, being an allied health professional for 20 years myself and looking at the trends and the changes, I do wonder in the current modern day society, apart from all the pressures you've already mentioned, are children now just, I don't like to use the word pushed, but are they just switched on a lot more and don't have as much downtime as say in the times that we were growing up and having to be switched on so much, does that kind of stress the nervous system? Like this is just me having a bit of a guess at it. 
but they are switched on so much more. There is so much more opportunity for overwhelm, whether they want it or not. Even for adults, it can be a really overwhelming modern day society, particularly in cities. I mean, what's your comment on that? Look, I think I totally agree with that. I think there's so much happening for kids these days that they are expected to be processing all the time and thinking about things and being, as a society, we're on the go a lot more. And parents sometimes feel that they have to have their children in activities each afternoon and be doing all sorts of things every day. And I think, you know, when you have school day, that is quite jam-packed as well with a lot of learning and a lot of other opportunities during their day, which it's not like it was previously where it was just textbook type learning. There's so much dynamic learning that's happening. It challenges a different part of the brain. It's not rote learning. It's more trying to be flexible and trying to adjust and adapt to learning environments and applying knowledge. So I think from that side of things, definitely there is that change that happens. And for some kids that can be really overwhelming that they are having to be alert and in dynamic mode all the time. Yeah. So would that in itself present with kids having tantrums or having behavioural issues? And this is a question, you know, parents are often kind of going, oh, my child's having a meltdown and what do I do? Tell us a bit about, firstly, as I said earlier, we try to understand the behaviour, but sometimes that issue of being a bit reactive where we just go, oh, you're being naughty, but we haven't actually stopped to try to understand where that's coming from. Tell us a bit more about, I guess, how do we tell that a meltdown might be coming? Parents might already be tuned into this, but how can we tell if something's due to happen? How do we intervene it? What are your know-how steps there? I think you've hit on a a really crucial point because I think challenging behaviours and tantrums and meltdowns, they have a certain look about them in terms of they're usually a reaction to something. And sometimes it's a child not getting what they want out of a situation, but there's usually a lot more to it than that. And I think anxiety does have a big part to play within the realm of those challenging behaviours because if a child does feel a bit so dysregulated, they're not feeling great and they're not sure why they're not feeling great, but there's something not quite right. You have children who might externalise or put that behaviour out there and other kids who internalise it. So your kids who internalise tend to shy away and withdraw and are very quiet. Your kids who externalise it may appear like your oppositional type kids and the kids who are getting in trouble or presenting as naughty. But I think it's important that we understand the motivation behind the behaviour rather than just reacting or responding to the behaviour itself. Because if we just react and respond to the behaviour itself and if coming from an anxious place rather than from a bit of an oppositional place, then we're more likely to escalate the behaviour and have a situation that can be quite significantly more inflamed than what it needs to be than actually helping the child sort of manage or understand what's happening for them. So I think essentially it's really important for parents just to be proactive rather than reactive. And it can be really tricky. I mean, I'm a parent of two girls and and I know sometimes I know all of this stuff and I still just go, ah, it's an easy, easy, quick, everything's too much type moment. But I think essentially if we're able to be a bit more mindful about where that behaviour might be coming from, then we're probably going to be more successful at managing it and being able to help 
children sort of work through it and learn the strategies themselves because essentially we want to get them to a point where they're self-regulating their behaviour rather than us having to manage their behaviour. And, you know, when they're really little, that's hard for them to do. But as they're getting older, we need to have those guiding steps towards them feeling like they're in more control of that. Yeah, absolutely. You just reminded me of something that I did with one of my kids, or maybe two, but I know that we went through a patch where I was really trying to work out the behavior and where it was coming from. And I thought, yeah, there is anxiety there. And I was looking at, okay, so how can I help her help herself a little more? And one of the things that I did was I sat down with her and she loves to draw and we drew different ways that we both kind of brainstormed different ways that she could help herself relax, you know, and whether it was having, she drew, you know, having a bath or giving mum a hug or, but she came up with different things and I kind of offered suggestions as well. She made a big poster, put it in her room and it was just kind of a visual reminder, but because I incorporated her in the process, so she took more ownership and accountability for, for it. Was I along the right lines there? Definitely. I think that's a great way. I would encourage parents to definitely be able to, I think we have a tendency to try and problem solve for our children and try and make it better rather than to help them learn ways that they can be involved in that process. So I think if we see ourselves as more like a guide to helping them to uncover and uncover and recover from the situation, uncover, discover what's happening and then recover from the situation, I think that they're more likely to learn to adjust that for next time. And with that situation that you just talked about, I mean, your daughter was getting a sense of, okay, well, there's something else that might have been behind that. And the next time she, because she's got a little bit of ownership over it, we can only change things that we own. So if she's got the ownership over it, then the next time it happens, and because it has been partly her idea as well of, of what's happening, then she might be more inclined to stop and think, okay, well, it might be because of something else and this is linked in with that. So I think it's a really helpful strategy when there is time to sit down and work through that. And even I find, and I usually say to parents because often I, I do hear that, you know, there's not enough time to sit down and go through that in that moment, but even if that family can, like, parent can sit down with a child in retrospect and go through that okay what was happening when this was going on what do you think we can do for next time so actively work through the process even if it's already happened so that they still learn something from the experience as well oh definitely that poster wasn't happening during the moment that's for sure (laughs) it was definitely in (laughs) retrospect and I think sometimes you know personally when I get a bit stumped as to where a behavior's come from or anger or whatever's happening I know that we'll have a conversation or later, it's just, we just got to work through this phase. And then later when everyone's calm, we'll just kind of talk through it and try to understand it all. So when a child is having a tantrum and, you know, sometimes they have tantrums in public or meltdowns or whatever we want to call it. And I hear a mix from different parents where they'll either choose to ignore the behavior and just going to let them do whatever, and others that try to actively kind of soothe their child in the meltdown and, you know, and I'll buy you this and I'll get you that and I'll promise you this when we get home. And so there's kind of that negotiation trying to happen during the meltdown. Is one strategy better than the other or does it depend on the context? What's your vibe on that? Look, I think it's important. Again, if we know the the motivation behind the behavior, we might be more effective in what we do to try and help address the behaviour. I think in public it can be really tricky because we all have that thing of, oh, what are people thinking? Yeah. 
in that moment, I think it's important to help the child recognise if they need a bit of a chill-out time where, you know, you just stop and you wait it out and rather than, so I think the promising of things and I'll buy you this or I'll do that, it sends the message that the child isn't in control of the behaviour they need mum or dad to promise something in order for the behaviour to change and also it can make the behaviour more of a go-to thing if the child wants something. I mean, children are essentially at that young age, <laughs> they can be quite, you know, manipulative in a way <laughs> yep. around if I want something, then this is actually a good way of trying to get it. So they can catch on to that quite quickly and you can sometimes find more increases in those tantrum behaviours as a result of that. But if, it, if the parent is able, they're not hurting themselves or putting anyone else in any danger, then just being able to be sit quietly with them. For some kids, they do need that, like that hug or that pressure around them to feel soothed and, you know, just a soft voice saying, Shh, it's okay, it's okay. And for other kids, they need just quiet and just wait it out. So it depends on what is their go-to strategy for getting calmer, I think we sometimes have a tendency to say you just need to calm down, calm down, calm down without really, I mean, that can mean anything for any child. So I think some children get quite reactive to even hearing a parent say calm down. Yeah. (laughs) So I think sometimes it's important just to sit it out and rather than giving them the words of what they need to be doing, just wait for them to be able to recognise, okay, something needs to change in the situation. And even just asking, okay, what can we do to help problem solve this? Yeah. Every problem solution, we just have to find it. So I think if the parent stays calm, then the child will eventually have to calm down because, you know, being in that escalated, heightened state takes two people usually. (laughs) If one's calmer, eventually the other will become calmer as well. Yes. And it's quite exhausting to kind of get to that escalate. So it's just not worth it. And I think you touched on a really important point about the language that we use with children. And I think it's important that we remember, again, coming from a speech path point of view, that we need to be specific with our language. And I know that when it comes to emotions and feelings for children that are young and don't understand what they're feeling, if as adults we have that ability to perhaps identify it, so are they frustrated? And we reflect back like, okay, you know, I know you really wanted that yogurt, but we're going to have dinner in an hour. It is frustrating because you're maybe a bit hungry, but is that the kind of language that yet we want to kind of encourage parents, professionals to keep using, just kind of acknowledging, okay, I know what space you're in and this is what you might be feeling because I think the frustration comes sometimes from not being understood. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think the child feels like they're being heard. I think that does make a difference and acknowledging that a parent can understand that this would be frustrating or that would be upsetting then helps the child think, okay, well, mum gets it or dad gets it. So then they're, they're in a bit of a more sort of relaxed, well, not, they might still be quite elevated in their responses, but they're actually not as reactive if they can see that you're trying to understand and trying to, I think that's the difference between some kids will say, you're not listening to me. And I think even that context of listening doesn't mean I have to do as you say. It's I'm hearing what you're saying because it seems like you're feeling this, this or this. Is that what you're feeling or am I getting it right or wrong or help me out? What do you think is happening? So I think that that type of language is really helpful because it does help kids then 
put a context around the situation. And once you acknowledge something, I think then you can move on from it. <laughs> yeah, it diffuses. Yeah, it does. It does, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that kind of leads me to the question on, I know there's lots of positive parenting programs and things like that out there. What's the quick summary about what positive parenting is about? Look, I think there is a huge movement towards like a move away from the type of parenting that was essentially like parenting by fee in the early days. So you did as you were told because you were scared you were going to get a smack or you were going to get in big trouble from a parent. Yeah. I think that there's more of a move towards helping children take ownership over their behaviours and make more proactive or helpful choices around behaviour. So in doing that, I think there has been more of a shift towards positive parenting around reinforcing and recognising helpful choices that kids make and being able to reward those and reinforce those rather than punishing the the unhelpful behaviours. Now, I think it's really important that parents recognise that it's not that we just notice all the positive stuff. There is still discipline involved, but there's a difference between discipline and punishment. So when we punish a child, we just come up with, you know, that's it, you're not having, you know, your iPad for another two weeks. And then if they say, okay, that's three weeks, that's four weeks or whatever else. So if the child doesn't know to expect that, that's classified as a punishment. And there's nothing that's learned from that other than the child thinking it's unfair and mum or dad's being mean. Whereas discipline, which is part of positive parenting, is more about giving children choices and saying, okay, you can choose to do that, but this is what might happen around this, or you can choose to do this and this more helpful thing will happen. I'll let you decide what you're going to choose and I'll check in with you in a minute and see what you've chosen. It's around disciplining rather than punishing. And then if a child does happen to make the choose the unhelpful option, it's still their choice. So we don't take ownership over it. We just say, okay, well, that's your choice. So that does mean that you're going to miss out on the iPad for the rest of the day. And if the child says, oh, that's not fair, well, maybe if you don't like that outcome, you might need to think about choosing differently the next time because it's they own it then. Whereas if we get angry and start throwing out various punishments, it's us the behaviour instead of them. Yeah, and I think that's, it just seems like, I guess, um, like I was going to say, a more civil way to approach certain situations. But it does sound that way, um, to be quite honest. And I, I like that it includes them to be part of the thinking process. It, it kind of teaches them that cause and effect, doesn't it? Um, and it gives them yeah. the control. And, and it also is the type of language that's used at school. So at school they have a similar, uh, you know, choice type uh, system where, where children are encouraged to make helpful choices over unhelpful ones, but they know ahead of time what the consequences of both would be. Yes. Um, so I think it keeps it, it keeps it in line and makes it a little bit easier for transparency for kids between, you know, home and school as well. So, because there are, sometimes it is quite different at at school versus home. Is that just simply because school, you know, obviously they have, we have different explicit rules set out, Um, but is it, is it simply that, that school, the rules are very clear, they're explicit, they're reinforced, um, and at home it's a different system or set of rules? And I've got to say that the home environment, wouldn't that also be kind of that's where kids can diffuse, they can kind of be a bit more reactive because they're comfortable, they're at home. Tell us a little bit more about how those different boundaries kind of present to children in school versus home. I think that's a really good sort of 
idea that you presented there that, that kids do have like it's like a pressure valve at school where where you're amongst your peers you're amongst adults who who are trying to teach you and and guide you so for some children they're more mindful of of the fact that oh I don't want to appear different from everyone else I don't want to have people see me getting upset or angry so they're they're going to repress a lot of that emotion even if they are feeling anxious if they are feeling angry if they are feeling they try and keep it together at school so they don't appear different from from others when they get home there's it's like a pressure boiler sort of thing the valve has to come off eventually because um, it's been sitting there all day so because home is quite often a more relaxed, comfortable environment, then parents tend to cop it, unfortunately, um, yes. if a child's yes. had a tough day at, at school. And, uh, look, and I think essentially parents knowing that that's what's happening actually helps <laughs> helps alleviate some of, uh, you know, the stress of why is it happening at home. You know, sometimes it is better that it happens at home so that we can deal with it in, in the context that we can rather than at school where a teacher has, you know, 30 other students to contend with as well. So, yes, and, and I think it's not that there's better rules at school or, or that's, it is structure versus a little bit less structure. I think, though, the, the social aspect of it has a lot to do with it as well for a lot of children in terms of why they, they behave differently in both scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Helen, we are going to continue a chat. We're going to have a part two because there's so much more to chat about that, you know, I think parents are also wondering things like, how do I know when a behavior is not so typical or when do I need to follow up with a psychologist? And um, what if my child has a learning issue or does have another diagnosis and different behaviors going on? So I think there's, there's definitely a lot more that we need to chat about. So we will do all that in a part two. But to wrap up part one today, what's your take-home message to parents and professionals that are doing their best to manage children's behaviours? Look, I think I think the take-home message would be that that I think we're all in the same boat. There's no one manual that is a one-size-fits-all for managing children's behaviours. I think that the most important thing is that we can take responsibility for our responses to those behaviours and try and understand the underlying motivation behind it so that we can respond in a a more sort of mindful and proactive way rather than reacting and and potentially setting up a negative sort of cycle of behaviour. So I think think it's it's about recognising that that behaviours aren't always children being oppositional. There might be more to it. There's definitely a lot that need to take into account when we're exploring what's happening for young people and and how we then try and help guide them through those situations as well but yeah I think it's important to to try and ask for help because I think you know there's there's (laughs) there's a lot of help out there it's just a matter of, of being okay with saying you know what I just want to chat with someone about how to go about this and and whether what I'm doing is okay or whether I need to adjust anything and um and you know we all need help along the way somewhere so I think it's good to be able to um ask for that when it's needed. Fantastic that is awesome advice thank you Helen it's been wonderful chatting you today and I look forward to our part two chat. You too Sonia thank you. Thanks. Bye. What an interesting and super valuable chat there with Helen Tsimoulis. She really does have some valuable gems of knowledge and information that she offered there on managing children's behavior. And it is such a big topic. So 
we are definitely going to continue that chat about children's behavior in a part two. So make sure you tune in for that one to benefit from even more gems to come your way. Helen did also recommend to me some valuable websites and I've included these in the show notes. They have some great parent professional resources on behavior management there. So make sure you check out the show notes on chataboutchildren.com to access those resources. Please remember to leave a rating and review for today's show. And if you're enjoying the chats that I'm having about children, please do subscribe to the show as well. If you know there are other family, friends and colleagues who could benefit from the information that you're hearing, please do share this episode. Thank you. I celebrate you. Take care and chat soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. www.chataboutchildren.com. 